I'm Deontay Burton, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Hamadou Diallo. Hey, I'm Danilo Gallinari. I'm Chris Paul, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Luke Dort, and I'm down to Dort. What's Dort? I, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what that was. In English, bro. I'm Darius Baisley, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Shake Gilders Alexander. I'm Steven Adams. I'm Andre Robertson, and I'm down to dunk. Yeah. On you. crossover pod we have thunder after dark we have down to dunk I'm, I'm sort of back in my in my uh I, I don't know comfort zone from a few years ago where andrew was gracious enough to allow me to come on to down to dunk and talk about thunder basketball it's john ham along with the usual monday cohort for down to dunk mikey barra mikey how's it going this morning well, it's it's going great. It's nice to have you back on uh, Down to Dunk, even uh, if it's a crossover one. It is a crossover. So if you listen to Down to Dunk, uh, you are and you're not a subscriber to the OKC Dream Team. This is part of the OKC Dream Team podcast. Again, for four dollars a month, <clears throat> you get the OKC Dream Team pod, which is myself, Andrew, who you're familiar with, uh, Brett Dawson, who yes, he's in LA, but still. Uh, helping us cover the Thunder, and a guy you may have heard of called Bryce Young from ESPN. And Thunder After Dark is a post-game pod, which is an additional $2 a month. So if you're listening to Down to Dunk, you haven't heard of the OKC Dream Team, here's a little preview. Uh, consider subscribing and supporting our work. If you're listening to the OKC Dream Team and listening to the Thunder After Dark, and you're not listening to Down to Dunk, what is wrong with you? Um, <laughs> that's the only way I know how to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, having this quality of content every week is, is great. So why not listening to both? Why not? Why not? And uh, I, the topic for today, Mikey, is uh, OKC had a uh, they had a fun weekend. There's some there's some, I think, good things to take away from this weekend. But specifically last night, uh, Oklahoma City falls to Milwaukee 121 to 119. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 35 points, 16 rebounds. Still pretty good. Still not a bad player, as it turns out. Yeah, and he's adding, finally, this season, I think, that part of the game where we always said, well, yes, but it's kind of okay to defend Giannis. You can give him space from three. You can wait for him at the rim. It turns out that this season he put really an emphasis on being able to be a threat from a standstill uh, three-point shot or mid-range and I don't have the numbers in front of me but like from the top of my head they are much better than the other years especially in the number of attempts that he has uh, from the three-point range if he starts to put them in at a reasonable rate boy oh boy he's unguardable because as soon as you close him you close out on him with a one guy with just one guy he will beat you like, okay, Baisley did some nice thing. Gallo was okay. Ferg was okay. But when he wants it, it doesn't really matter, especially if it is a semi-transition opportunity. He had like two or three times where Gallo was backpedaling or CP3 was backpedaling, and he was so fast that, I mean, 
it's it's really beautiful to watch. It's really beautiful basketball, uh, uh, crazy athleticism. He's he's one of a kind. Yeah, <clears throat> Chris Paul was talking after the game uh, about you know the challenge on defending a guy like that, and he was like, yeah, you know, you think back up, back up, and then by the time you keep backing up, he's at the rim. Like yeah. it is, it doesn't take much. I mean, he can go from like the three point line to the basket without dribbling legally. I think. Yeah. And um, yeah. He's a phenomenal player, but I'll say this, uh, OKC frustrated him in the first half. Uh, as a matter of fact, he got outscored by uh, Mike Muscala in the first half, and it frustrated Giannis so much that he airballed a free throw. Uh, he tried to eat his own jersey, and as he walked off the floor, um, he, out of frustration, kicked a thunder sign and shattered it, which he was very remorseful about after the game. Yeah, I read the, the, the quote after the game. It was kind of hilarious because Giannis, uh, even if he, he is like, he's an MVP, he keeps his demeanor uh, when he's interviewed. And so it was really sorry for that. And it was yeah. quite funny. Yeah, but the first half, OKC did the best uh, job you can actually do uh, on Giannis. He, they made everything hard for him. And I think that a few calls didn't go his way. Um, and so that probably add to the... Um, to his uh, like uh, to his twin being um, not okay with what was happening in the court, um, but yeah, I mean, again in the third quarter and in the fourth, OKC defense was not as good as in the first half. We've seen that uh, multiple times this season. With Milwaukee, you can excuse that because a the third quarter was still competitive, even if Milwaukee had the best of it, but surely the defense was not the same as the first half. Yeah, so OKC had a six-point lead at halftime. Uh, they push it up to nine in the third quarter, and that's when Milwaukee went on a run. And I, I was looking at the numbers this morning, Mikey, because uh, if you look at net rating, OKC mm-hmm. has the best net rating in the league in the first half. Uh, they, wow. they're, they're a positive you know, 12.7 points per 100 possessions. They are the best in the league. And then if you go to the second half, well, you got to scroll down to the bottom. If you keep going, you keep going. Oh, there's OKC at 26, uh, a negative wow. nine net rating in the second half. And and that's particularly bad in the third quarter itself. Um, and, and that has been a problem this season. Billy Donovan talked a little bit about it. Um, yeah, I, I think he's sort of chalking it up to, well, the, the other guys seem to come out with a little bit more you know, energy and effort. Um, but it's definitely been a problem for OKC this season and, and last night as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if this is actually true, but I will make an hypothesis, uh, from the top of my head. Like if you are the team who leads the third, like after, after the break, it's a little bit tougher to, to get something different, to do something different. So right. if you're up, it means that whatever you're doing, it's working. And from the other team, um, and maybe this is just like coaching where Billy has to be better because I remember like a few OKC team led by Durant and Westbrook were not great in the third as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe that's a bit of coaching, maybe a bit personality, but also it's the other team will react uh, and, and you have to be ready for that. And I think that this is the problem of OKC, not being ready of what a team can do different in the second half to counter whatever you did because that's that's 
the beauty of coaching. Like you prepare the game. And the thing that you prepared, the thing that Billy and his staff prepared for the for the first half clearly worked. And clearly worked very well. They they launched a ton of threes, they created open shots, the defense was great. And in the second half, then you have to really be ready to adjust. And OKC is not that flexible. Sometimes it's just being um a young team in terms of chemistry and stuff like that. Sometimes he's being young, period, because OKC has a lot of young players. And sometimes it's also coaching. Like you, you really be, you need to be able to adjust quickly to whatever the other team is running to you. And I've seen the critique in the past. I've seen it pop up again in my timeline. Oh, well, this is a coaching issue. And I'm like, understand, there is another team with another coach that also is making halftime adjustments. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> this is not a one-sided affair. And oh, by the way, especially tonight, the coach on the other side is a former coach of the year. So, you know, Budenholzer is uh, is pretty skilled at what he does. So, uh, but yeah, overall, and so is Steve Kerr. So is Steve right, Kerr. So exactly. is Mike Antoni against Houston. Yes. Uh, like in the game against Houston. Those are three top-tier coaches in the league. Yes. And, I mean, again, we're, we're kind of focusing here on third quarter failures or second half failures. But overall, um, you know, this, this Thunder team was in this game. Even though Milwaukee went on a run, they extended at one point. They led by 13. Uh, OKC stormed back. And despite Gallinari having an off night, uh, he drills a three to tie the game up at, uh, I believe it was 114. Uh, Gallinari was off, but, you know, that was that was the one three that as soon as that hit, I'm in the building and the crowd erupts. And I mean, there was just, you know, the, the fans haven't, uh, I, I don't care whose names are on the back of the jerseys. The fans are still into it. And, and I think that's wonderful. But, you know, again, a huge shot by Gallinari at that moment. Yeah. And you live with that. Like you live with Gallinari taking 10 trees and maybe having three of those contested. Like the quality of shots that OKC generated against Milwaukee. And this, I think, is one of the best news uh, of the evening uh, for OKC was that they were able against a very, very good defense that yes, drops a lot. So creating trees is a little bit easier than getting stuff at the rim. Uh, but anyway, they were able to generate 40, 40 or 42, I don't remember the exact number, uh, three pointers against them. And mostly they had open shots. And this is for a team that is searching for an identity. This is very good. And then Another good news, in my point of view, is Shea struggled a lot and still, again, was able to have a semi-efficient game. Like 19 shots, 9 shots made, especially a good percentage from 3, and he didn't get any calls at the rim. And this, no, he didn't. I know that for, like, for the single game, like you see that and say, wow, this is bad news. No, this is actually <laughs> great news because it will, there will be a time when Shea will get those calls. I'm, I'm positive because he's so good at the rim that he will learn how to manufacture um, uh, contacts at, at the rim with, with like retaining his, his, um, his efficiency and, and getting a few calls more. Because like if Shea gets two, three trips at the rim, this, is, this may go the other way. Yeah, and uh, you can look at this weekend against Golden State and against Milwaukee. He didn't shoot a single free throw. That's really not on him, uh, the, the no. fact that he didn't. You know, it, it's not like he was just sitting, settling for mid-range jumpers. You're right. He was getting at the basket. And I, I joked early in the season, uh, there was a play where, you know, Shea attacked the basket. 
and he didn't get the call. I said, he'll get that in a couple of years. I mean, that's unfortunately, it feels like that's how the league works in that regard. Yeah, uh, and and it's not just the referees. I mean, there are ways in which you will generate contacts. And I I was very mindful in using contacts and not calls. Like, you, if you go straight ahead and you don't put your hands in such a way that you can meet the opponent's arm, it's much easier to the referees to let it go. And a few times, Shea did that. Like, there were contacts that that are they were in the middle between uh, a foul and the block and if you're not James Harden you're not Russell Westbrook you're not a premier talent then you will not get that call you will not get the 50-50 ones and so you have to be able to be better at creating the best opportunity for you and to generate contact to absorb it and to make to, to make the basket anyway but still generate that because going at the rim means generating contacts and being able to to adjust to those and so after Gallinari hit that three-pointer with 33 seconds left to tie things up, uh, the Bucks called a timeout, uh, set up a really nice play to get Brooke Lopez an open shot. I mean, he he had a lot of space available there. Obviously, people were very concerned with what Giannis was going to do. He um, got a nice kick out from Wes Matthews to hit a uh, to hit a deep three-point shot, and that was basically it. Uh, Milwaukee hit some free throws. That you know they went on a. You know, they scored seven more points. OKC, uh, you know, they got a uh, got a layup from Shea. Uh, Chris Paul hit a hit a jump shot at the end to make it a little bit more respectable. But, uh, you know, uh, again, OKC clawed their way back in. And it, it's a little bit like like that Washington game where, again, OKC tied it up and then the Wizards took off there at the end. Kind of happened again, just in this case, right at the end of the ball game. Yeah. And on the top of that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but ju- right after the Brook Lopez three, the um, the play that, that Donovan drew was some like some action, and then the ball went to Gallinari, not wide open, but open enough no. from three. Right, like it was not like like open like Brook Lopez, uh, but still it was a very good shot, and I can live with that. Like I can live with yeah. Brooks taking taking an open shot and make it, and with Gallo taking a semi contested one and miss it. This is what a great offense create. Create the best shot for your best player uh, or the best shooter. And OKC did that, and Milwaukee did that. Sometimes you have to play the odds, and Milwaukee won the game. Um, again, I think that if you if you consider the start of the season for OKC and you see how great they play against the top of the competition because they, they face one of the best teams in the league, um, I think you're, you can be encouraged, not just by the play of Chris Paul and Gallinari, but also the young players and Schroeder. Those are, those are becoming assets, regardless of their contracts. And this was the plan from the beginning, being competitive and expose your talents. And I think that OKC is, is having a success, successful start of the season. And you just mentioned Schroeder. Uh, he was big last night. He led the team with oh, yeah. 25 points. But, uh, you know, in that, uh, you know, in, in that comeback, he was instrumental in making that happen. He hit three of five from three, nine of 12 from the field overall. The guy was just feeling it along with six rebounds and five assists. And, uh, you know, he is becoming uh, that Thunder bench has been quite an asset for them this season. Um, you know, obviously with Schroeder, Hamadou Diallo's given them a lot of production. Mike Muscala gave him a lot of production this weekend. Turns out he's not a 5% three point shooter. Who knew? Um, yeah, but back <laughs> back to Schroeder. Uh, I, I mean, again, he is just uh, there are going to be you know games where he's off, 
Uh, but when he's on, yeah, he is he is giving this team quite a boost. Yeah, uh, three points on the you touched on three points on the second unit that I I, I wanted to discuss as well. I mean, Muscala having a great game uh, that was expected. I mean, I don't think that Muscala is a forty percent shooter. I surely don't think he's a guy who will shoot will shoot above uh, like below thirty percent for the season. So he's right. somewhere in between thirty four to thirty seven, and shooters go through bad stretches and great for uh, from okc to keep finding him and that's important because two pat i don't know how many games he was able to um to take nine trees muscala was able to do it tonight and this is extremely important second point diallo hami keeps surprising me i'm not as high on guys who are just pure energy good defense not great defense and transition but boy, oh boy, he produces every night. Like, yeah, regardless of the situation, regardless of the opponent, he's always able to produce something. And this, this is something to take note of. And, and so, yeah, Hami has, has been great to start the season. Let's finish with, um, with Schroeder. I mean, he was great, as you said. And I think that he, he had a, um, a call not going his way that I think changed part of the game. Like You're talking about call. it in, in the third quarter, right? With the uh, with, with the elbow, right? Exactly. I yes. reviewed that call three times in slow motion, and like it, it's it's like pointless to complain. It's not it's not about complaining. It's about understanding it. Like West Matthews was inside the restricted area fully. Schroeder did not elbow him. Like his elbow was not wide. It was just that Matthews had was in the trajectory of his elbow going down. And so I, I didn't see anything unnatural from Schroeder, and I don't understand how you can call it um, an offensive foul. Like, if, if Matthews is outside the restricted area, great. But I, don't, I really don't understand how the call was, was made. Like, I don't yeah. know if the, the, the referees can uh, turn it, like, if a challenge is not, is not called. Um, I don't know, but it was a weird call that kind of switched uh, the momentum there. Uh, again, it, who yeah. cares? Because the, the, it's, it's one of 82 and there are many calls going your way and a few going the other way. Um, but yeah, I was just curious to understand why they, uh, the officiating crew decided to go that way. I, I'm guessing because there was contact to the head and... I, I guess regardless of, you know, where, whether it's in the restricted area or wherever mm-hmm. it's at, I guess they're going to call that. I guess they're going to go look at it. Um, and naturally, I had people coming at me about why didn't Billy challenge that? Um, you know, there's there's a number of reasons why, you know, again, I so people understand you don't get unlimited challenges, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you challenge that and you lose it, you lose a timeout. That, again, turned out to be a tight game down the stretch. Um, you know, if you do get that turned over, I, I don't know. I haven't, I'm not terribly, um, I, I know some coaches are getting calls overturned, but I haven't seen the percentages, but I, there's a lot of things where you think, oh, they're going to overturn that and they don't. So, yeah, yeah. you know, if you, if you at home are watching on your TV and, you know, you, you've got, you've got your glasses have a blue tint to them because, you know, you love your team. You're going to see things from an angle that may not match up with the rules. And, and believe me, Billy Donovan and the coaching staff knows the rules, too. Um, again, there's a number of reasons 
why you may not like try to challenge that at that point in the game. Yeah, only like you are in the third, as you as you said. Like it's it also depends on the timing. Like I bet that that if this is I don't know forty seconds before the end of the game and the game is on the line, Billy would have challenged that. Period. Like no question. But in the third or whatever the time was, maybe early in the fourth, I don't remember, um, it's, it was not the right time to do it. Um, and yeah, and I'm probably also an Omer too, so that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bad calls happen. And no, the, no, I this, mean, yes. You know, the, the coach's challenge is not there to right every in, injustice. Again, they get one per game. There's some coaches that burn that in the first quarter. Um, yeah, I think every coach has probably got a little bit of a different philosophy and how they're going to use it, if they're going to use it. Um, Billy has explained before that he feels like that that might be valuable if, you know, like, for example, in the first half, if there was a call that might have got Giannis his, his third foul, yeah, that he might have thrown the challenge there if it, if it wasn't called. Like, okay, maybe I can get the third foul on Giannis, get him out of the game. Um, yeah. I, again, I think it's more of a strategic tool yes. and again, not one to, by gosh, you didn't call this game perfectly. I want this corrected. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's obviously the, the right way to watch it at challenges. It was just a funny, funny to me. It was just a little bit weird officiating, but again, uh, it is in the grand scheme of things. It's extremely pointless. So we right. already spent yeah. too much time discussing it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, another thing that kind of stands out, Milwaukee got 66 points in the paint. Um, and I think some of that is just a byproduct of the Bucks offense. That is this, you know, five out uh, offense where Brooke Lopez can nail threes. And so if guys are cutting, um, you know, they're, they're going to get looks. And Milwaukee got a lot of looks at the rim. Uh, again, to reiterate, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but obviously Steven Adams did yeah. not play. Um, and so Nerlens Noel in his place uh, had another nice game. I, I'm shocked that he's not in the hospital uh, from the tumble that he took late in the game. But uh, he finished with 14 yeah. points, uh, three boards, six assists, Mikey. That That's unexpected. Um, I read a tweet sent me um, from, like, Thunder fan telling me that Noel can be the same creator uh, that Steven is. And I was always in the mood of tweeting back, like, yeah, but, but not exactly that. And immediately like next game noel goes for six assists i mean he had some <laughs> very good moments um i still think that comparing noel and adams it's it's hard i mean you can see games like noel does everything say what like he played awesome and if you, if you can go back and really watch defense you can see moments where he's not in the right spot um there those players are incredibly different, like in, especially on the defensive side. Steven is really meticulous, and he will do the right choice most often than not. Noel is more uh, flashy. He will swat the mm -hmm. ball. He will do flashy play. I don't know. I really don't know if you can say one is more effective than the other, but they are, they are very, very different. They are very different players, and, and I, I do believe if Steven had played, he would have had similar opportunities to generate offense uh, because, again, yeah. OKC is, is running a lot of things through the center, up there at the elbow. Um, and Noel, yeah, because I've, you know, believe me, I've, I've had people come at me that Nerlens is, is clearly better than Steven Adams. I'm like, oh, we need to, we need to tap the brakes. If not, 
slam on them. Um, look, Nerlens is a better shot blocker. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, yeah. And like you say, he uh, he is more uh, flashy in, in a lot of ways. And this is not to demean Nerlens Noel, who again, has had a very strong start to the season. Um, but, I mean, there's a few games this year where he's played, you know, seven minutes or, or, or less, and a lot of that is matchup-based. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if you want to flip that case and say, man, they need more out of Steven Adams, I'm there with you. And I think that's yes. part of the reason why he didn't play tonight. But let's let's slow the roll on Nerlens being far clearly a, a superior player to, 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 uh, to Steven. Yeah, and if you want to be 100% fair, you can say that the value of Noel on such a contract is higher. And that, that's, yes. that's perfectly fine. I mean, if you can have two Noels that take uh, three million, three and, I don't know, almost four millions uh, of your cap space instead of having Steven at 26, yes, that will provide you better value if you can spend those 22 millions that you have left in a better way. Um but A, you cannot do such things uh, because it, like cap doesn't work like that. And then I don't have yeah. to explain it to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, so if you want to say in a positive way that Noel at such figure is an amazing asset, I agree, 100%. He's having yes. a great season. And if you want to put it in the trade market, you will get value. How much value? I don't know. The first, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a tad higher uh then 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 it's value but but yeah so it's both things can be true at the same time like steven is a great player uh he can be probably if you take 100 games he will be better than noel in most of them um because he's a better rebounder he's a better defender overall uh, and he can be a post-up threat whereas noel has to be involved in different action uh but if you want to say that noel has a great value in that contract perfectly agree yeah and, and that's the thing. I know sometimes uh, people can get sort of caught up in the moment and, you know, look, if you, you know, get, give praise to Nerland's Noel. Um, I, I think yeah. he's, I think he's been really good. And, and Hey, speaking of centers again, Mike Muscala had a really good weekend. Uh, you know, he went uh, his, his three point shooting over the weekend has brought him up to a 22% three point shooter for the season. So good for him. Wow. From five to 22. What a weekend. <laughs> He shot, uh, he hit 50% of his threes over the weekend. That's all it took. So, um, other than that, uh, any other guys we need to touch upon? You talked about Ferguson a little bit. Um, I I like, I I think they are trying to get him more involved in the offense, getting him coming off screens. He had a couple of good looks at the top of the key. Uh, He did hit one three from up there. I I like how they're doing this more than, okay, Terrence, go stand in the corner and maybe we'll get the ball to you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have Ferg, uh, this is a two-way process. Like, you have on one end to to be mindful about his presence and try to create a little bit more from him. And on the other end, Ferg must be more aggressive and more assertive when he has the ball. And I think that tonight, he was better at that. Um, I was talking with Andrew about um, the Ferg or Hami conundrum. And I think that Billy slowly but surely is moving toward Hami, towards Hami. But like Ferg gives you things that Hami is not giving you right now and things that you need. And the thing that you need is pacing. Because if you have Shea Gilgis Alexander uh, on the floor, you need guys that can create space for him. And this is very, very important. And so especially if you can give Ferg four to six threes a game, uh, or at least 
a few games of multiple trees, um, then the differences will notice. Like you're already seeing differences acting differently on the areas, basically. So it takes not much to have a threat from three, especially since Ferg is a good enough shooter. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a two-way process, but I think that Ferg is on the uh, right, um, at least in, in the right side of the process right now. Yeah, and I, again, I, I think it has a lot to do with you know, recognizing that they need to do some things to get him more involved. Uh, and, and, and to me, that's encouraging because he, he is a threat uh, on the offensive end if they can yeah. you know, get him shots. And again, early in the season, it was sort of the offense from last year. The problem is OKC is not generating as many corner threes as they did in the previous couple of seasons. So they've got to do some things to get Ferguson on the move to get him some of those looks, I think. Um, uh, the other guy to talk about is, is you mentioned Darius. Uh, again, he's a rookie. I'm going to go over. These are just his last four games uh, against Orlando. 10.6 rebounds looked really impressive against San Antonio. Looked like a rookie. No points. Four boards against Golden State. Nine points, three rebounds, three of three from three. Looked awesome. Last night against Milwaukee. Nothing. Four rebounds. Uh, welcome to the life of the highs and lows of a first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a first-round pick that hasn't played competitive basketball in a year. So yes. uh, you can add that to the um, to the issues that Darius is facing right now. Uh, well, the situation is not that just there, those are not issues are just the, the regular life of a of a player that plays in the NBA. Um, I think that even if the trees didn't go in, he was impactful. He had a very good defensive performance on on Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is not an easy thing to do. Like, if you put Nader, um, sorry, sorry, if you are, uh, if, you, if there's a Nader fan out there, but if you put Nader on Giannis, he will murder him oh, in yeah. front of everyone. He will embarrass <laughs> him. I'm positive. Well, you don't don't you don't want to use Nader? Pick another bad defender. Basically, right. held his own, and that's impressive and also he had a very nice block he had a very nice assist i mean when the trees go go in this is always better of course for a team but he's taking good trees mostly like a few times he's a little bit quick trigger but anyway uh that's part of the learning curve i'm very encouraged by the fact that he's playing with the grown-ups and not in the g league um well lugans had a great game but but i mean it's better to have that kind of, of experience, like the the real NBA experience. Right. Yeah. Again, Dakari Johnson averaged like 20 points in the G League. And um, yeah, you know, didn't didn't yeah. mean a whole lot. No, basically did have he did set up Noel for for a really nice basket. Again, you, you see his ability to put the ball on the floor and set up for others. Yes. Occasionally, Baisley's going to get caught in no man's land. Um you know, and, and he's going to turn it over. But, you know, we've seen several times this season where he is able to create for someone else. And that's going to be so valuable for this team moving forward, I think, from the front court. Yeah. Have you have you seen? Well, of course, you've seen that. But that play where he pump faked Giannis Antetokounmpo and then drive with his right hand, he burned him with his dream. Yeah. And that was insane. I mean, it, that that is insane. And uh, one thing that I want to mention. Milwaukee had an, uh, an amazing defensive night. Like, they were everywhere. I, I kept myself, I, I, when I was watching the game this morning in DBR, I kept thinking, well, oh, this is a great defensive performance. How can OKC beat that? 
And the fact that OKC scored almost 120 points against these kind of defense, it's pretty amazing. It really is. Uh, and, you know, despite all that, OKC still hit almost 50% of their shots, 40% yeah. from three. Um, you know, they, they turned it over 15 times, but they caused Milwaukee to cough it up 22. Um, it, the fast break points, uh, OKC, again, this season, they're hovering somewhere in the, in the mid-single digits. Um, you know, despite all that, OKC was in it right there until the end. So um, for some people that are, that are really eager to start losing basketball games all the time, I guess they're they're happy, um, but you know there is still some stuff to work with here that I think can get better. And however this team looks, you know tomorrow or, or three months from now, I think you're you're going to have a competitive basketball team. And you know as Roy Shung pointed out, I think you can look at coaching for a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, Billy said, Billy said out like a good good start of this season. Yeah, even if he's not challenging the calls you want him to challenge. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to round up the OKC Dream Team, Thunder After Dark. Uh, Mikey's going to take over for some more Down to Dunk content. If you're listening uh, to Thunder After Dark, go check that out as well. Uh, if you're listening again to Down to Dunk, uh, check us out on the OKC Dream Team. Give us a chance. You might like us. Um, you know, just, just, uh, just worth doing. Uh, but anyway, thanks to Mikey. Thanks to the subscribers on the OKC Dream Team side. And uh, we will talk to you after the Indiana game on Tuesday night on our side. And we'll let Mikey take over from there. Thank you, John. So second part of the Down to Dunk um, with me, Michele. And the first thing that I want to say is that when I was watching the game this morning, um, early this morning, as I always do, I, I caught myself thinking about the amazing dunk that Diallo had on, on Robin Lopez. And I thought, wow, having a photography of that would be great. And so I thought about our sponsor, Peyton Marie Photo. You can check her on Instagram and at Peyton Marie Photo. Uh, his website, her website is PeytonMarie.com. And Peyton is an Oklahoma-based wedding photographer. Her main goal is to capture authentic emotion and unforgettable moments through bold and creative images. Her photography style is non-traditional, genuine, and a bit out of the box. She believes your photography should be a true reflection of who you are and that your wedding photos shouldn't look like anyone else's. Um, so go to this website if you have a wedding coming on or a nice party, a moment in your life like the Alice Dunk that you want there uh, forever. Uh, she's based in OKC. She loves to travel though anywhere for destination weddings and other stuff. Um, also, I want to mention that Peyton Marie offers 10% off discount exclusively for Down to Down listener. Um, so if you mention to her the podcast, then she will give you 10% off for a, a session or a wedding package booked in 2019. So again, go to uh, paytonmarie.com. Um, I've asked you for Twitter question, and as always, you, you uh, as Thunder friend, did not disappoint. So we'll get immediately um, into those, and we'll see. Uh, I hope to get to as many as possible. If I did not, if I do not answer the question here on the pod, I will make sure. Um, and I answer this uh, um, via Twitter. So, first question of the day, Ryan Von Kennel 
at the real Ryan VK. How does SGA ceiling and Shenzhen change the timetable of the rebuild? Well, I don't really think that you have to change um, the plan. I mean, first of all, I don't know what the plan is. It can be like two years from now, three years from now. Um, in any case, what you want to do is continue to build on on uh, the roster in terms of young player getting assets and get the most out of your assets. That doesn't change, even if SGA is a, is a superstar. Um, the, the only thing that you really want to do is not to waste his development. And so there is a fine line where you don't want to him to play uncompetitive basketball for too long um, because it can tire you up. And so I think the prestige should find a balance. Uh, but it, it really doesn't change the way in which you, you look at the team. Um, Presti knows that uh, Shea is special, that probably basically is something, and so that they have a timeline to work with. Um, Hub at Jason Hubbard. It's possible that Burton's size last year is, that, is what made him special as a player and that his weight loss has actually been bad for his game. Um, I have to be completely honest with you. I thought uh, about it uh, myself and even if I don't have uh, a solution for that I think that playing in your uh, but like your body plays a huge role in the type of basketball uh, you you put in the court and that kind of uh, athleticism that he has that he had and the way in which he absorbed contact and stuff like that probably were part of his of, her, of his physique and now they are gone or he has just in front of him players that deserve more minutes. Uh, that can always be the case. Uh, Johnny Ellison at Johnny for USC asks, uh, we are looking for SGA to continue developing while we look forward to mainly the 2022 drafts to get good young players. Does that put SGA out of the timeline? It seems like SGA in the future draft pick would be on two separate timelines, like four or five years apart. Um, you can have players that are three to four years apart. Shea, if I'm not mistaken, is 1998. So in those in that draft class, you will have 2003 players. Um, so yeah, there is a, a, a bit of a gap. But A, um, if you have a player like SGA in 2022 that is 24 or 2023, where it was just starting to be in his prime it's fine to have very good rookies it depends on the quality of a rookie like if you have Shea today and like suppose that he's in, in his prime and you have Zion Williamson does that bother you I don't think so so it, it, it really depends um, and and don't forget that if you have if you want to build sustainable basketball you have to mesh more than one generation together Johnny Ellison asked possibly, um, oh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's all, always Johnny that asked possibly even more than five, four years apart. I just think of great teams like past OKC or Golden State and the Spurs among them. All their talent is around the same age. It seems like SGA will be in his prime 22-26. Those draft picks will be developing then. So yeah, um, I think that there is uh, truth in, in what you say, clearly, but also that you don't have to 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 restrict yourself to to the fact that they have to be all the same age 
Um, for example, Tim Duncan is 1967 and Tony Parker, I believe, is 82. Let me let me check that again. But Tony Parker, uh, yes, 1982, so six years. Uh, Kawhi Leonard won a title with that core. So you can build dynasties. You need to have players uh, at different ages. If you have too many players that that go in their prime at the same time, you have cup problems. Golden State didn't have those just because Curry had an injury. And so he was on a very, very good contract. Otherwise, it would have been impossible for them to keep them all. So there is good and bad in having um, talent peaked at, peak at the same time. Again, Jason Harbour, Knicks have, the Knicks have anything we want. What about Scherzer to New York? Certainly, certainly appears they may be ready to shake things up already. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the Knicks made a very uh, clear strategy, in my opinion. They want to have a clean sheet in terms of their salary cap two years from now. So not in 2020, but in 2021. Schroeder fits that timeline, but I don't know how many wins they want to get. So again, they want to have as much uh, as possible cleaned in terms of salaries uh, in um, 2020. 21. Speaking of cleaning, uh, you have to try the best cleaning service in OKC, and that is KP's cleaning service. They are local, small business servicing the entire OKC metro area and surroundings. They dedicated. They are dedicated to giving clients a unique cleaning experience. Andrew told me a lot of times that when he has guests. This is the way to go. I mean, the, the house smells fresh, it's clean. Uh, you don't have those dusty areas in your home anymore. Mention to them that you come from Down to Dunk and they may have a special package for you. Call them or text them, them at 405-290-8172 for a free quote. Again, this is 405-290-8172. That's KP's Cleaning Service. Um, Kobe Zeller, a uh, uh, very active Twitter present in the Thunder blogosphere, um, not Thunder related, but have you noticed that the Hornets are the only team whose jerseys are not made by Nike, by Barry Jordan brand? I have no clue how and why, but it's pretty interesting. Um, and then there is a bit of a discussion uh, on that tweet. I think that it's just Jordan being there, uh, being the president there, nothing more. Uh, they probably have a special rule for him and, and stuff like that. I, I, I really don't uh, know about brands and, and stuff like that. Again, Kobe Zeller's Schroeder's value, um, Dennis Schroeder value seems to be rising. What is more, more likely, that he stays with the Thunder long term or that they get a positive value for him in a trade? I think that the latter is uh, what is more likely. And it also depends on your definition of a positive value because if you're asking for a first round pick i don't think that is likely if you think that we can get that okc can get um an expiring salary uh plus one or two second rounder that is more in the uh, realm of possibilities maybe if he has like a very good month or two then you can get him you can get like a first for him but you need to get back more um in terms of salary long term, say uh, if you if you have a contract like the one of T of Hardaway, for example, you trade Schroeder uh, plus 
something like Nader and Burton and you get back uh, Hardaway uh, or Salah like that where it lasts a little bit longer but you get the first round pick back. Um, Wambam, Dirt or Clam, Michael Clampett on Twitter. So naturally we can talk about SGA meteoric rise, baseless future as a star, tragically falling in love with Gallo in time for him to be dealt. But I want props to, to go to one guy, Nerns Noel. Any chance that these OKCs in the next five years? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I think that Noel is one of the highly, the, the one of the players that is highly um, in doubt for trade. Like, is it will be traded? Sorry, uh, that was a very convoluted way to say that. I think that he will be traded because the contract is so easy to fit in any team like you can take the Clippers you can take the Lakers you can take any team you always have the possibility to trade him uh, if he wants to uh, so I think that on one hand he will love to compete for a title because he's young enough um, and I don't know if he wants to be part of a rebuild and I don't want if OKC wants him to be uh, part of a rebuild because he's he provides very good value and so next year he, it's very unlikely that he will sign again with OKC and so why don't getting value uh, out of him Aniruda Acharya um, I hope I pronounced that uh, well enough how did Baisley do defensively against the Bucks I think I think he did well I think so too I mean I discussed that with John in the first part of the pod I thought that Baisley was not bad against Giannis Antetokounmpo and that already is a very very good thing because you have like a player that is just in his rookie season and he's able to stay with Janis uh, for one or two dribbles he's able to be in the position that he should be on and so all those things point me in the direction uh, that to say that Baisley is a is an okay defender and when you are a rookie if you are okay defensively that's always good. And he has very good instincts as well. I mean, he can block shots. And that is something that will help him. Because if you are a four and you have that possibility to be an outside um, defender and also you have quick feet, that makes you a very, very good defender. Um, Thunder Chats, can you identify any young prospect you would like on this team that no one is really talking about? Um, I cannot because I didn't... Uh, start uh, to to watch prospects and stuff like that but a very good friend of mine Lorenzo Neri you can find him on Twitter um, he's a very good scout um, he, t- he talks about basketball all the time and he suggested me uh, yesterday to go and look uh, clips and games of Killian Hayes he plays in um, in Europe right now in Germany at Ulm and I watch a few of his highlights and he seems like a prospect that is kind of under the radar and um, he might fit well alongside Shea Gilgis Alexander he's like a 6'5 point guard with a quick release not a pretty release but a quick release he can make one one-handed passes he's a tough guy who's already playing pro and his team is trusting him to close games so I will keep an eye on him um, Ronald J Swanson at driving the paint, should the Thunder continue looking for draft pick or should they shift focus to getting some young guys who are already in the league moving forward? Clearly, they will take the best offer, though. Uh, I think that it depends. Um, 
you don't want to go to commit yourself to one direction. Uh, you need to be aware that well, there will be chances. And if a player that fits the timeline of OKC will become available, then I, I don't doubt that Presti will try to, to get him. I mean, Oladipo was a guy like that. Um, I think that Presti had some hope that Dion Waiters could be like that. And Escanter. Um, we have reasons to believe that Presti doesn't commit to, to one or the other. Of course, the possibility to get a star... Uh, by trading him are not very common and Presti is responsible for one of those trades. Uh, Porzingis may be one of, the, one of those trades. Uh, who knows? But I don't think that committing to, no, I don't want young players, I just want draft pick. It's just silly and Presti is not a silly man. Um, Logan Mayer says, uh, SJ hasn't been getting the superstar call when he drives. As a second year guy, not surprising. He will eventually get the respect that he deserved from Rev's future superstar. Oh, this was not a, a question. Sorry. It was just a comment to my, um, to my previous, one of my previous tweets. And I, I want to, to, to stress that uh, it will come. It's just a matter of when. Uh, Sportfan405. When can we start asking you draft questions? Well, it's not the time uh, yet, but I am, since the college uh, has already uh, started, I am trying. To, I am trying to to watch at least one or two college basketball games per week, and so to give it a little bit more attention than what I than what I used to to do. Um, my plan is to focus in the first two weeks uh, on like in the next two weeks on Cole Anthony and probably also Nico Mannion. So maybe I don't want to make promises around Christmas. I will have already um, a pretty good list of the player that I like and that I uh, at least saw one or, once or twice. Anastasis Bavalis, uh, why do you think Ferg keeps having an extremely low usage presence on offense? I can accept that Muscal and Baisley. Uh, I can't accept that Muscal and Baisley, um, love him, uh, average more trees than the Ferg. Uh, than Ferg. It's on him or the coach. Um, we kind of mentioned that with John, uh, but I want to give another um like two or three words more on that. I think that it's both. I think that over the last few games, Ferg has been a little bit more aggressive. Uh, fouls are, all, are always an issue for him. And so I think that if he can complete uh, an entire game without being in foul trouble, we will see him taking six or seven shots. That is around the amount that Baisley and Muscala will take. I don't know if Ferg will be ever an high usage, play, a high usage player unless he starts hitting at, I don't know, 40% or so. Another question for from Anastasis uh, Vassal, Vavalis. Uh, is Steven Adams on the decline for good? Um, and then he comments on that. I don't think that. I, I have reasons to believe that he had a lot of issues uh, physically in the first um, two weeks of the season. And, um, and so... I think that it's clear now that Steven has been through something because the way he played the last three, four games is completely different from the first uh, few games. And he, I don't think he is declining. I think he understands that this team is different and he's trying to adjust the best he can. Um, I, I, I will, I'm hoping that Steven, that, that you don't lose hope on Steve because 
I still think he can have a very, very good impact in this season. Kobe Zeller again. If you know the exact coach challenge rules for what plays can be used, then please explain because for me and possibly even a few coaches, <laughs> it's kind of blurry. So I don't, I don't know the rule, but I find the article that explain it. And so I will read it because it's pretty clear to me. Um, the league told teams Friday that pending expected approval by the Board of, Gover of Governors on July 9, coaches may challenge a personal foul charged to their team, a called out-of-bound violation, violation. So if they don't call it, you cannot uh, ask for a review, a goaltending violation or a basket interference violation. No other call may be challenging. And then uh, there are other, uh, another uh, or two um, interesting concepts about this. A challenge must come immediately after the play and challenges out of bounds call, goaltending or basket interference will not be permitted in the last two minutes because the crew can actually review those. If the challenge is unsuccessful, then the team will lose its timeout. If the challenge, the challenge is upheld, no timeout will be charged. So these are the rules. A very few calls that you can actually um, uh, challenge and there's no indication that the challenge will go your way. If the crew sees something different, then it may officiate that in a different way, like um, that happened with um, Steve Kerr, for example, in his last, uh, in, during the last uh, game against Golden State. Uh, let me see if we have other questions. Yes, we have the last one about John Grooms. Which potential trade candidate, anyone, anyone besides shame base do you think make most sense to retain and focus on their growth for next generation is it still third and how do you see this player influencing present and future success so um i think that i would not trade diallo and ferg um, all the others can be traded uh, why i do include ferg is because i still have hope that a shooter and a defender a 3 and d type of guy a role player um, is useful for a for a team in general and developing him alongside Shea alongside Baisley is a good way and I think that Hami has Hami deserves our credit now because he one way or the other produces in the court and if he starts hitting trees and I don't think that is likely um, because uh, we can all we all can see his struggles in terms of shooting. But if he's able to put that uh, in some sort of stable way, like if he's, if he's able to hit 32, 33, 34% from the corners, um, I, don't, I don't want to ask him to be Bruce Bowen, but he can be a difference maker because he will give you space and he will be a crazy good transition player. Um, will he be an all-star? No. Will he be... Uh, close to an all-star? I don't think so. But he can be a very, very good player, a very good starter uh, on your team, on a successful team. And with that, I think we I answered all the questions that you guys uh, asked on Twitter. Um, please 
rate and subscribe and uh, subscribe to our podcast let your friends know spread the word down to dunk is a is a growing family i mean we are trying to provide the best coverage we can and if you can take five minutes of your time uh, to go on your apple podcast and give us a review um, like five star would be ideal that will help uh, our podcast to grow Um, and that said enjoy uh, a very good week of uh, basketball and Andrew and Alex will talk to you on Wednesday